Amen. You may be seated. Man, it's good to see so many people here on a Labor Day weekend. As a pastor for, uh, haven't been a pastor for over 20 years now, uh, I always know that Labor Day is usually the weekend where uh, there's crickets. <laughs> Especially on a weekend with such great weather. Have we had great weather this weekend or what? Oh my gosh, what a great weekend it's been. You know, Labor Day weekend is just an amazing an amazing weekend in Detroit for me. I always, I always get excited for Labor Day weekend because there's so much. Uh, it's like out, outside of Christmas, there's no holiday in the Detroit area that has so much going on. You've got, you've got Art Beats, Arts, Beats, and Eats, which we're headed to this afternoon. You've got uh, the Jazz Festival downtown, which we go to almost every year. You've got the, the, the Renaissance Festival up in Holly. You've got the Peach Festival in Romeo, where we went yesterday. You've got the... The, uh, what, Hamtramck has a festival going on. And uh, I saw something about some Irish festival in Berkeley. I don't even know. That might be some new one that they're starting. But you never know. It's just so much going on on a Labor Day weekend. Not to mention just the fact that you just go, go somewhere. Uh, <laughs> up north or to the beach or whatever. But man, there's just so much to do on Labor Day. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because what is Labor Day about? Work. And so we celebrate work by doing what? Not working. <laughs> like, like doing as little work as possible, unless of course you're one of those people that gets all the, you know, your house projects on Labor Day. But don't do that. Just don't do that. You know, it's, it's funny because you know, Labor Day is, is, I mean, again, it's one of those holidays that how much time do we spend on Labor Day, actually celebrating the fact that we work. See, there's those crickets I was talking about. <laughs> we just don't. I mean, of all the holidays that we celebrate, we, the, 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 the disconnect there is just incredible between what it is we're supposed to be celebrating and the things we actually think about while we're celebrating it, you know? Because, and, and the fact is, is that work is something that we don't even talk about that much in church, Right? We don't talk about work a whole lot. We don't want to talk about work. It's the weekend. It's Sunday. We don't want to talk about work, except for the fact that, oh, I got to go back to work on Monday. Oh, are you kidding me? You know, that's a, basically our attitude on Sundays. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to think about work. It's coming too quick. We don't want to think about work. You know, work is something, work is something that we, I think we struggle trying to integrate our job, our, our nine to five work into our life as a follower of Christ. We don't think of work as something spiritual. You know, you think of, well, pastors, you know, Sam, Sam, now he's, he's got a spiritual job. He's, that's a spiritual job. He's a pastor. Okay, got it. You know, but if you're a, you know, if you're a pipe fitter, you know, or a mechanic, or, you know, we struggle to look at those things and say, man, this is spiritual. This is, this is a God thing that I'm doing. We struggle with that. So that's what we're gonna try to look into this morning. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna get into it. God, thank you for this weekend that you've given us to celebrate and to just relax and to enjoy this wonderful world and this weather that you've given us and on all these things. And you've given us time to relax and recharge and God, we celebrate that. But God, we also thank you for giving us work. And this morning as we look into your word, God, I pray that you help us understand what it means to 
find meaning and purpose in our daily work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I got to ask is this. What do you think about? What is the definition of work that you, work, that, that you deal with? How do you define what work is? Because, because most of our culture thinks of work as in the negative. Work is something that's bad. Work is a necessary evil. Work is something that we avoid. We want to do as little of as possible. That's the way most of the world thinks about work. We want to do as little as possible. And our goal is to, is to work in such a way that we can go and then live actual life. Right? There's work and then there's life. And we work so that we can go live life. We work for the weekend, right? I, I don't want to start singing 80s songs here, but there were a whole bunch of them in my generation that were about, you know, working for the weekend or you're a weekend warrior. You're, you're you know, you, some of you folks in my generation know what exactly, I see heads nodding and you're all got the gray in the beard, you know? <laughs> but that's the thing, right? We, so much of our culture is about, about working to not work. Or I want to save up and I want to make sure I save up so that I can retire and just get out on a beach and lay out for the rest of my life, right? Just chill, just relax. I don't think that's what God intended for us to think about life and about work. Work is not a four-letter word. Well, actually it is, but, but, but never mind that. <laughs> Work's not a curse word. It's not something negative. The fact of the matter is, we were created to work. We were created to work. God, in, in Genesis chapter 2, when, when God created man, it's, he said this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and take care of it. This is before sin. This is before the fall of man. This is the first thing. This is the first thing. I created you. Now go work. Say, really? That's what God did? The first thing he did was told, told man to work? Yeah, that is. That's what it is. We were created to do work because God intended work to be something joyous, something that fulfills us, something that gives us purpose and meaning. That's what God created work for. Now, when we move on to Genesis chapter three, that's when we find out that work becomes something that we hate. If you look on in Genesis chapter three, it says, okay, now because of sin, work is gonna be hard. Work is gonna be a struggle. Work is gonna be pain. Work is gonna be torture. You're not gonna enjoy work. The Scottish theologian William Forrester said it this way. He said, man was created to be a gardener, but by reason of sin, he became a farmer. Interesting. I like that. I mean, I, I'm neither a gardener or a farmer. I kill plants for a living. But, but it makes sense, right? Gardening is something people do for fun. Not me, but some people I hear do it for fun. And they enjoy it. They enjoy getting their hands dirty and pulling weeds and, and seeing things grow. I get it. I, I mean, I don't get it, but I get it. But I've also known when I went to college, I went to college in the middle of Podunk, in the middle of Indiana, where, you know, every corner was farm, 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 farm. <laughs> and then you came to the next corner, it was farm, 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 farm. 
And one, one of the girls I dated in college actually grew up on a farm. And, and that's where she lived. That was their life. And it wasn't fun working on a farm, from what I could tell. It was work. It was hard work. It was painful. It was, it was, it was a trial. But work is intended by God to be something joyous that we can celebrate. God wants us to work. God wants us to find meaning in our work. First Thessalonians, Paul writes this, and I love this. First Thessalonians 4 says, make it your goal in life, or make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as, instructed, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to be dependent on others. He says, listen, make it your goal in life to work. Make it your goal in life to live a quiet life. Mind your own business. I love that phrase, mind your own business. We ought to listen to that a little bit more. Mind your own business and work so that you'll gain the respect of those around you. Work is something that we're intentional about. Work is something God has created us for. But again, how do we define what work is? What does it mean when we say work? What is our job that God has given us from creation forward? And when I look at it, when I look back at that verse in, in, in Genesis chapter two, what I see is our job is taking care of his creation. God said, yeah, I put you here, now take care of it. Work it, care for it, manage it. And I looked at all kinds of different definitions from theologians at work, uh, about work, and man, they get long. <laughs> theologians know how to be wordy, which I guess I can accept that. But um, here's how I defined it. I wrote a little definition of work. I work for me are the things you do with your talents, abilities, and passions empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a positive impact on God's creation. Let me give you that again. The things you do with your talents, abilities, and passions empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a positive impact on God's creation. That's what work is. That's what the, the word work should mean to us as believers, as followers of Christ. The great theologian Frederick Buechner put it this way. I love this. He said, work is the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deep need. Mm, that's powerful. And yet, that's a, that's a phrase that probably we have a hard time integrating into our nine to five. We don't necessarily look at our nine to five job in those terms. And we struggle to find meaning in life, I think, so often because we struggle to put our work into that framework. The 17, in the 17th century, there was a guy uh, who was a military man uh, by profession. And he worked, he was in the military for a while and he got injured and he couldn't serve in the military anymore. So he decided to become a monk. So he went to a monastery and he said, can I become a monk? They said, sure. So have you got any theological church training? He said, nope. Okay, can you wash dishes? I can wash dishes. 
So that's what his job was. He was a monk who washed dishes. He didn't teach scriptures. He didn't do all those spiritual things. He washed dishes. The other monks ate their food and he went and washed dishes. And then got up the next morning and washed dishes. And then night came and he washed dishes. Doesn't sound like a monk, right? A monk we think is somebody spiritual. Spiritual. They spend their lives praying and studying the scriptures and all those sorts of things. No, he washed dishes. But he wrote one of the greatest, or actually they compiled some of his, his, his letters and his writings and everything into a, into a book. Um, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a wonderful book. And if you can ever find a translation of it that's, that's uh, more modern, it'd be a great read. Because in his work, he said, well, I'm washing dishes, but God is here. I'm washing dishes, but I'm washing dishes because God is my God. And so his, his whole philosophy was to find meaning in everything he did, no matter how mundane, no matter how trivial, he practiced the presence of God. God was there with him no matter what he was doing. And I think that's something that we need to re regain in our lives is that practicing of the presence of God, that realization that no matter what we're doing, God is there with us. No matter what we're doing, it has purpose and meaning because God has given it to us. So this morning, I'm going to give you five tips for finding meaning in your work. Now, this is not a like all-inclusive list like, you know, these five things and you're done. Because that doesn't, life doesn't work that way. It's not five, you know, Five easy, you know, anybody who says, I got you five easy answers. What is that? I, I hear the commercials about, you know, flipping homes. I'll give you my three-step program for flipping homes and you'll make a million dollars. Anybody who tells you that, you know, they got a scam going on. I'm not trying to give you a scam here. These aren't, this isn't the five perfect, perfect formula for finding meaning in your work, but five tips that I think will help. One is this. Make sure you have both a profession and a vocation. Make sure you have both a profession and a vocation. You see, work has two sides very often. See, a profession is what you get paid to do. Profession is something that somebody pays you a salary or pays you an hourly rate. They remunerate you somehow for the work that you do. A vocation is a calling. A vocation is what God has called you to do in life. The work that God has called you to do. The reality is, those two don't necessarily overlap. But I'll tell you this. A profession without a vocation is meaningless. A profession without a vocation is meaningless. If you're just working for salary and you don't have anything that, that, that contributes to the, to, to the creation that God has given it, if you don't understand, have a vocation that is your calling from God that you're fulfilling in life, then that job, that profession is going to feel really meaningless. Really meaningless. So have a profession, but make sure you have a vocation. Know what God has called you to do, what God has created you to do, and do that thing whether or not you're gonna get paid to do it. 
Now, I realize today, especially in the millennial generation, there's all kinds of memes going around about chasing your dream and find your dream and work for your dream and all those sorts of things. And I believe in those things. I mean, my daughter's about to ready to graduate with a degree in acting. So trust me, I believe in chasing dreams. (laughs) But understand that your dream, that your vocation, that your calling from God will not necessarily be the thing that pays your bills. Doesn't always work that way. God doesn't always plan it that way. They may or may not overlap. The great preacher Barbara Brown Taylor said it this way. She said, our vocations may turn out to be the things we do for free. While it's sometimes possible to turn your love into your work, especially if you can figure out how to live on less, but that is not always the best idea. So make sure you have a profession, make sure you have a vocation, and then figure out if the two are gonna overlap or not. Because sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Lori's a great, my wife Lori, those of you guys don't know Lori, she's right there and she's beautiful. But she's got a great job because her profession and her vocation overlap. She has a passion for helping marriages. She has a passion for helping young girls who are, who are dealing with stress and dealing with depression and dealing with self-harm and all those sorts of things. And what does she do? She's a psychologist who works with teenage girls and people who are having struggles in their marriages. That's what she does. Her profession overlaps with her vocation. That's awesome. You know, Seth is a guy whose profession and his vocation overlap. That's awesome. But that doesn't always work. And for probably the majority of us in here, it's not quite so crystal clear. I'll give you a little bit of my story. I grew up in my teenage years and my 20s, I was convinced that my vocation was to be a musician. I was absolutely sure. So I went to college. I went to one of the best schools I could go to for for what I wanted to do and for what I wanted to, the business I wanted to get into. And I studied, I studied, uh, you know, music theory and I studied songwriting technique and I studied copyright law and I studied recording studio techniques and I had voice lessons with the best teachers and I had all these things. Never found a way to get paid by it, for it. (laughs) And that's okay. Now, there was a time when I didn't, wasn't at peace with that. Now, that's still my vocation, and I still believe that God has created me to make music, and I still enjoy doing those sorts of things, but that's not my profession. They don't overlap necessarily, and that's okay. That's okay. It works differently for different people, and God's plan is different for different people. And let me tell you this, uh, just as a side note, your vocation may change over time. God may call you to do different things at different times in your life. Think of the King David, right? King David, if you look at the story of David in, in Scripture, he started off as a shepherd, and he was the best shepherd he could be. He fought off lions, he fought off bears, he fought off wild animals. He was a good shepherd. He was a great shepherd. That was his job. That was his calling. And then later in his life, his calling was to be a musician. His vocation was to be a musician, and he was a good one. Later on, he was a military leader. Later on, he was a king. All throughout his life, his vocation, his calling by God changed and morphed. In my life, you know, I I did not grow up thinking I'd be a pastor. 
In fact, strangely enough, I had number, a number of people. I can, think of, I can think of three or four people in my life when I was a child who used to tell me, who used to prophesy and say, you're gonna be a pastor when you grow up. You know what my response to them was? You're nuts. I am never going to be a pastor. It is not gonna happen. That is not what God has called me to do. Until I got to be about 30 years old and God said, <clears throat> um, guess what? And things changed. My vocation, my calling shifted a little bit. I have some apologies to make, but most of them have gone on to be with the Lord now, so it's gonna be a while before I'm gonna make those apologies. But even then, even as a pastor, I never, uh, pastoring was never my profession. It was never the thing that supported my family. But it was my vocation, it was my calling. And therefore my profession had meaning. And one of the meanings of my profession was to make sure I could do my vocation. My profession enabled me to do my vocation. And so often that is what you have to focus on. Your profession enables you to serve God in the way he has called you to serve. So make sure you don't only have a profession. Make sure you have a profession and a vocation, whether or not the two overlap. All right, number two. Do work that aligns with your God-given uniqueness. Do work that aligns with your God-given uniqueness. For example, if you're a painful introvert like I am, don't try to be a salesperson. It won't work. You will be miserable and you won't be good at it. That's just the truth of it. You've got to find a work that aligns with who God has created you to be. If you're very detail-oriented, find a job that requires somebody who's detail-oriented. If you're more of a dreamer, then find a job that needs somebody who's a dreamer, who's creative. Find a job, find a profession that aligns with your God-given uniqueness. And this isn't only true with professions, but this is also true with vocations. God's not gonna call you to something that doesn't align with who he created you to be. One of the big problems I've found in churches over the last 30, almost 30 years I've been in church leadership is that so many people are caught serving in a church in a place that they're not called or gifted to serve. Why? Because the person who is called or gifted to serve that way isn't doing their job. You know, you find somebody who's saying, well, we need Sunday school teachers in this church, so nobody's doing it, I'll do it. Well, that's great. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're, you're willing to do that. But if you're not called and gifted to do that, you're not going to be as successful, as fruitful in that as somebody who's called and gifted to do it. And that's why it's so important for each of us to find that thing that God has called us to do within a church family. Because if you don't do it, then somebody who isn't called to do it is going to have to do it and they're not going to do it as well. It's like Sam always says, only you can do what, what, what only you can do what you could do the way you do it. Something like that. I close enough. <laughs> I'm not Sam. I can't quote Sam. <clears throat> but you know what I'm saying? 
you have got a calling and a place to fit in this family of believers God has called you to do. And if you don't do that, somebody else is going to have to either, it's either going to be left undone or somebody's going to have to do it who's not called and gifted to do it. So find work that aligns with your God-given purpose. Don't try to imitate somebody else because they look fulfilled. Say, oh, that person is doing that, and they look so happy. I'm going to try to do what they're doing. You're not going to be happy trying to do what they're doing because you're not them. Find what you have been created and molded and shaped by God to do and do that thing. However it works, it may fit into a totally different mold. You may have to create a job description to do it. That's fine. Do what God has called you to do. All right, third thing. Work for the benefit of people, not for recognition or a salary or for things or all those sorts of things. Work for people. No matter what your job is, you can focus on people in that job. I don't care what your job is, people are your job. Whether your profession or your vocation, people are your job. That, you know, that, that phrase that Paul said to the Thessalonians, he says, make it, a, make it your goal in life to live a quiet life. A quiet life. He says, stop trying to be somebody. Stop trying to be somebody. Stop trying to get everybody's attention and get noticed and get it, you know, be famous, all those sorts of things. Don't be that guy. Paul says, live a quiet life. Don't look for attention. Do what the work that God has called you to do and, and be content with that. You know? We see that all the time. I'm not going to, I'm going to get off track here. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> Don't let materialism drive your work either. Don't let the desire for things drive your work. Uncontrolled appetites for things make us miserable. Make us miserable. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this, and this is often misquoted, but let's look at it. First Timothy chapter six, he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. But as for you, man of God, run away from these things. Instead, pursue righteousness, holy living, faithfulness, love, and endurance, and gentleness. Money's not a bad thing. Earning a salary is not a bad thing. Even if, if you make a lot of money, that's not a bad thing. Some people, God is blessed with jobs that pay a pretty good wage. But don't make that your goal. Don't make that your target. If God, allow, if God chooses to bless you that way, more power to you and use it for God's purposes. But don't make your salary your goal. Don't make your boat, your cottage up north, all those things, your bigger camper, all those things, don't make that your goal. Make that the thing you accept from the Lord with blessing, with thanksgiving and, and blessing if he, if he blesses you with that. Focus on the things that matter. Focus on people and on relationships. Lynn Coick, the theologian, said it this way. She said, joy comes from people, not things. Joy comes from relationships, not from circumstances or experiences. A lot of people say, hey, we, we, we do our job and we, we live in small houses because I hear this. You watch that, that show, Tiny Houses? 
And they always, I, I, it's a great show and I love these little tiny houses and all they make. But so many of them talk about, oh, we don't wanna work for things. We wanna live life for experiences. Experiences are what are gonna make my life meaningful. No, they're not. No, experiences aren't gonna make your life any more mean, meaningful than things. What's gonna make your life meaningful are people, are relationships, your relationship with others and your relationship with God. That's what will make your life meaningful and purposeful and fulfilled. Any job can be about people. I write computer software. I sit at a computer and type computer software. Sounds like a very people-oriented job, right? <laughs> very people-oriented job. But see, I create software so that dentists can help their patients better. What's my focus? Writing great software? No, my focus is helping people have healthy teeth even though I'm three or four steps removed from ever dealing with a patient in a chair, and trust me, that's a good thing. You don't want anywhere, me anywhere near your teeth. But what I do enables that process. And now I'm in management. I got a half a dozen programmers who work for me. So what's my job? Making sure they get good software written? No, my job is to make sure they're doing, they're fulfilled in their work, that they're tr getting better at what they do, that they're fulfilled as best they can. Any job you have can be about people if you choose to make it about people. If you choose to make it about things, you're gonna be miserable. You're gonna be miserable. All right, two more things real quick because I'm running out of time. One is don't work too much. If you wanna find meaning in your work, don't do too much of it. Don't do too much of it. Don't overwork. Modern society is overworked and underrested. The invention of the light bulb meant our workday didn't end when the sun went down. Oops. Now all of a sudden we find ways to work longer and longer and longer hours and rest less and less and less, and we're worse off for it. It's great when you go camping, especially the way Lori and I go camping, because we tent camp. We're real campers, Sam. <laughs> Okay, we bring, our, we bring our phones and our tablets with us. I admit it. Okay, all right. But seriously, I mean, when the sun goes down, it's like, okay, you got a campfire, but it forces you to slow down, doesn't it? It forces you to rest. It forces you to get more sleep, hopefully, unless you, well, if you have kids, and that's a different story, but sorry, Sam. <laughs> But we're created for work, but we're not created only to work. You hear me? We're created to work, but not only to work. God created us to work and to rest and to play. Exodus chapter 34 says, you should do your work for six days, but on the seventh day you should rest. Even during plowing or harvest time, you should rest. Even when life gets busy, even during tax season, I don't think Ashley's here. Ashley's not here. Okay. Well, my joke fell flat then. <laughs> tax, tax, uh, tax accountants always have fun during tax time, right? And work so many hours. No, even when it's your busy season, you got to rest. You got to find time to rest, relax, play. Don't overwork. The whole story of the Old Testament, if you read it in context, you see God gives his people not just the Sabbath command that we read here, but he says, listen, you got this festival and you got that festival and you got this holiday and you got that holiday because why? I want you to take some time off. 
Some of those festivals were a week long and they weren't supposed to work the whole week. Don't overwork yourself. Make sure you're in a healthy pattern of work, rest, and play. All right, one more thing before we go. Always remember who your boss is. You want to find meaning and purpose in your work? Make sure you're working for the right boss. Once again, Paul said to the Colossian church, he said, whatever you do, do it from your heart for the Lord and not for people. You know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Now, he's not contradicting me here. He, he, you know, I said, you know, work for people, not for things. And then Paul comes around and says, don't work for people. But it's, it's different. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you work for God, not for the slave owner, not for the boss, not for the manager, not for the owner of the company. You work for God. Your ultimate the ultimate authority that you answer to is God. You know, the boss may be on vacation and you're kind of, you know, hey, can you punch out for me? No, your boss is on vacation, but God's there. He knows. You're working for God ultimately. God has given you that profession. God has given you that, prof- that vocation. He's the one you're responsible to. He's the one you're gonna answer to in the end. So make sure you know who your boss is. That alone should completely change our perspective on our jobs. That, that, that realization that we are working for God, God, our profession, our vocation, it's all for him. It's all because he's given it to us. He's given us our vocation. He's given us our profession. He's given us our marching orders. We work for him. And our fulfillment is going to be in making sure he is pleased with us. That at the end of our life, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that I have prepared for you. That's where our meaning and fulfillment is found. In working for God and knowing that he is pleased with what we're doing. Leo and Ken are going to come up and we're going to sing a couple more songs. And as we do that, I want you to just take a moment and just meditate on what we've talked about and think about your profession and your vocation. Maybe you look at it and you go, I don't know if I have a vocation. I don't know if I have, if I know what God has called me to do outside of what I do nine to five. Well, ask him. Ask him what he wants you to do. Ask him what your vocation is. But our meaning is found not in the things that we earn, but in the people we affect and the God that we serve. That's where our meaning and purpose is found. So no matter what you do from nine to five, you're doing it for God. You're doing it for people to make his creation and his kingdom a better place.